Welcome to another Neon Jazz interview with talented New York City-based trombonist Nick Finzer. He talks about his latest album, which is quite impressive. It's called Exposition. Who his jazz heroes are, about his move to New York City, and learning from Wycliffe Gordon, and much more. Dig it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and start off here. First of all, thank you for, for interviewing with us. We really appreciate it. Yes, my pleasure. So first question I have for you, since we are based here in Kansas City, um, have you ever played here? you have any uh, memories here in Kansas City? Uh, not yet. Not okay. Yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll, we'll have to have you here at some point. Um, so where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Rochester, New York, uh, upstate, and uh, grew up there, and then I went to the Eastern School of Music there in Rochester for uh, some undergraduate work, and then I moved here to New York City. So how did growing up in Rochester groom your love of jazz? Uh, well, Eastman was a big resource uh, when I was growing up in high school, and uh, there was a community big band that we used to meet on Saturday afternoons, and um, we ended up doing the Essentially Ellington competition uh, to come down to jazz at Lincoln Center, and uh, as soon as we started working on that music, and that Ellington music, I just fell in love with it, and it's been history ever since. So why did you pick the trombone? Uh, well, really it was because I was tall and I had long arms when I was uh, in fourth grade when we started music. <laughs> but um, ever since then, I've just been totally infatuated with the sound that it creates, and especially when you get a bunch of trombones together. It's, uh, it doesn't quite sound like any other group of instruments together. It just has a really, like, it draws the end, the sound of the trombone, and like, because it's so close to, like, the like a human voice and can do a lot of stuff with manipulating the sound and I don't know I just love the sound of the instrument it's just really flexible and it's always a challenge so I always like to be challenged so it never gets easier you always got to keep keep up working on it well the the interesting thing about the trombone is it's not one of the more popular instruments in jazz that people immediately pick up on but it's essential and it does have a great sound to it mm -hmm. yeah it's always been you know it's always been essential you know, my, one of my teachers, Keith Ray, pointed out to me in one of our first lessons that some of the greatest, you know, band leaders in the history of the music have always been trombone players. And they just have to keep that, uh, keep that upheld and keep that moving forward, like Glenn Miller or Tommy Dorsey, these guys, you know, big-time band leaders. Absolutely. So talk to me about your family and how they influenced you getting into music. Uh, well, my mom had always been into music, she is a flute player, and she um, encouraged me when I was young to, you know, kind of tinker around on the piano, and I always liked, you know, to play around, and then she encouraged me to start band in fourth grade and pushed me really through, you know, middle school and through those kind of tough years, and you don't know exactly what you want to do, maybe you want to play sports, or uh, had a dad. for a brief moment, I wanted to be a chef, but uh, my mom... You know, she, she really pushed me to keep moving with the trombone, and you know, so she really, you know, helped me to get into lots of, like, classical music, and she's mainly a classical musician, and so I learned a lot about music just from her encouragement, and, um, but other, otherwise, like, no one in my family other than her really plays music, so it was kind of a, a thing that, you know, we bonded over, and she always has been encouraging of my music. So, speaking of influences, Duke Ellington, as you mentioned, was a big influence, and you got to play his sure. music. 
What is it about him and his music that moved you so much? The way that he just has this impeccable sense of melody is just amazing. But then he's always so creative with the way that you know, he orchestrates the melody, his melodies. And it's, it's just always, and each piece always has like a distinct vibe to it. Every, every piece has like a unique thing that you can, when you always know it's that piece, not just by the melody, but by just the feeling of it. And to me, that's just a total mastery of the art form. And he, you know, he continually changed and developed over his the whole course of his life. And, you know, I know I've played music from the beginning, you know, all the Take the A Train, you know, Mood Indigo, those kind of tunes, and then tunes from, like, what they wrote in the 70s, like the New Orleans Suite I got to play when I was at Eastman. And just all this different music that he wrote is just totally amazing. And I've always just, you know, been drawn to it. So, speaking of influences again, what was it like learning under Wycliffe? Under Wycliffe Gordon, it was it was a really great experience. You know, he's a really masterful trombonist, and uh, he was nice enough to you know encourage me to come down and visit him in New York when I was in, uh, in high school and then in undergraduate undergraduate studies. And he uh, really pushed me to just check out more music that I hadn't heard before and do a lot of transcribing of the masters, J.J. Johnson, Curtis Fuller, and, um, you know, he always, he just has such a distinct voice on the trombone, and he's such an amazing, naturally gifted player that it's just, you know, every time I go see him, I think, oh yeah, I, I kind of know how he plays, and I'm just like, wow, it's just so amazing, and it's totally inspiring every time, you know, I get to hear him, so, you know, he's a constant, a reminder that I have to keep working to get to that next level. Absolutely. So, you played with a lot of cats over your formative years, like Slide Hampton and John Clayton. What was what was that like to play with those guys? You know, it was always just totally awe-inspiring. You see these masters that you've heard on, you know, recordings, and you get to see them in real life and play with them a little bit, and just to see mainly for me the energy that they always have for the music and that they always put into the music, it just, I don't know, it just makes you want to do it that much more and see how they've just pushed themselves and gotten so deep into the music. You just really want to, you know, try to work as hard to you know, attain that kind of level of uh, musicianship. And it's just really amazing. And I can't say enough about, you know, Sly Hampton. He's one of my favorite you know, favorite trombonist, and he's a little bit unsung, and, you know, he just totally amazing guy that totally, really changed the way people conceive the trombone, so. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, a, a dream for a lot of artists is to move to New York City, and you've done it. How has being in that environment affected you, not only personally, but professionally as a uh, jazz musician? Well, yeah, New York is the, you know, the epicenter of jazz music, you know, historically, and, you know, after it moved from New Orleans to Chicago to New York, but uh, for me, the musicians here in New York are just on such another level uh, that it just pushes you. I don't know how else to say it. It's just, you have to keep on your A game, or, you know, there's another guy that's right around the corner that's just killing, and you, you know, you have to you know, keep moving forward, and, you know, there's so much room for you to kind of explore and you know, play different kinds of music that you would never be exposed to otherwise, different combinations of musicians. And uh, For me, 
me it's just been about you know exploring musically and meeting a ton of new musicians that are just so amazing and just really trying to keep up with everybody else that's around. Sure. So you were selected as a finalist in 2010 for the International Trombone Association, the Carl Fontana Jazz Trombone Competition. And in 2011, you won the Eastern Trombone Workshop. What do those honors mean to you or any honors that you receive? What, how, how does that affect your playing and, and who you are? Well, um, you know, to me, you know, music isn't really that much about competitions, but it's totally amazing and nice to be recognized, you know, in those kind of situations for, you know, the work that you put in. It kind of, you know, gives you a little pat on the back and you kind of know that you're on the right path and that other people are recognizing that, you know, you are working hard and that, you know, you have something of value to people to, you know, appreciate what you're doing. So it's really nice to, you know, get a little recognition and, um, so it was definitely awesome to do those things and get to meet the other finalists and get to cultivate those relationships with other really fine trombonists and, uh, you know, just get to play music with more, more people. So those, those things were a lot of fun. So talk to me about your nonprofit uh, Institute of Creative Music. Uh, the Institute of Creative Music was a, a thing that I started with a buddy, a drummer friend of mine from Eastman, uh, we started it in 2011, but it really started a couple years before that with a few tours that I put together, uh, doing educational programs for students in, um, in Arizona and Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, in Washington State. And, you know, we go in and try to encourage younger students to pursue, you know, jazz and creative music and improvising and to, try to talk about how improvising is totally natural and easy and trying to dispel any conceptions that it's a difficult thing or it's you know, some elusive uh, kind of practice that we're trying to get more people to listen to music and uh, in a deeper kind of way and have a greater understanding of what musicians are doing when they're playing jazz and improvising so that you create a new generation of uh, critical listeners and appreciators of the music. Absolutely. So we, uh, so we go around schools and perform for the school student bodies and we do workshops for the music students and um, we just went to Montana in the fall of 2012 um, we, we tend to go to places that are a little smaller uh, try to you know go to places that don't have you know tons of jazz clubs like New York City you know try to go to some other places and share the music very cool so your latest album as we mentioned is a great listen, and it's making some waves in the jazz community. Talk to me about the album and how it's doing. Well, this is my first album as a leader. Uh, it's called Expedition. It was a lot of lot of fun to make with some great musicians that I attended Juilliard with, and uh, it's been it's been moving along pretty well, uh, moving up the jazz charts a little bit. I appreciate you playing it, and. Uh, uh, it's been getting a lot of play in my hometown, Rochester, and that's been really great. Got to perform, perform there for a CD release and did a CD release here in New York. And coming up, uh, looks like we're going to have a couple dates in Miami and a date in uh, Washington, D.C. to spread the music. And uh, so it's been going just as well, uh, excuse me, it's been going a lot better than I could have imagined. I didn't really know what was going to happen, and I'm really 
really grateful that people have been so open and accepting of my music. Very cool. So speaking of live performances, around the country or the world, what's your favorite place to play at? Oh, my favorite place? Well, hmm. That's a really good question. Um, there's some really amazing uh, kind of natural venues in, uh, in Europe, but there's a place actually that we played with uh, Julia, I remember on tour in... Uh, in St. George, Utah. It's called Tuacon High School. It's got, they have this uh, amphitheater that's outside, and it's got this, like, canyon, right, like a red rock canyon right behind the stage. Cool. And it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, that's a pretty cool place to have some interesting acoustics because of the, you know, the rock formations and stuff around. That's a pretty cool place. Very cool. So, other than Duke Ellington, who are some of your jazz heroes? Oh, man. Uh, Slide Hampton. J.J. Johnson, Curtis Fuller, those guys, uh, John Coltrane, um, those are the first guys that come to mind, Charlie Parker, um, I love a lot of guys out around now too, Ryan Keberly, Marshall Jokes, uh, Michael Peace, these guys, these amazing trombone players, but uh, those are, you know, I've been kind of focusing on that, but I've always loved like Dave Collins and Miles Davis Quintet, there's just so much music, it's hard to pick only a few favorites, but. Sure. So, in your life, what accomplishments are you most proud of? Uh, I would have to say that you know, getting to New York is probably one of the biggest accomplishments for me. You know, you kind of think about it for a long time. Well, yeah, maybe I'll go to New York and just kind of finally making a move here and finding a way to do it. So my way was to go and get a master's degree at Juilliard and get here. And then really to get this album going and to put my music out there for people is, you know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking at first. You kind of don't know. Uh, you hope people like it, but to me it was like a really big accomplishment just to get the album finished and get it out and start playing the music around and have such a positive response. Wonderful. So if you could go back in time and meet one jazz musician from any era, who would it be and why? I think it would be... Thelonious Monk, uh, because he paved his own way right from the beginning through, you know, through bebop and playing with a lot of guys that got a lot more attention than him, and him being able to just stay the course and do his thing is really inspiring, and, um, you know, I think that that speaks through his music and the longevity that his music has had uh, within the jazz, within the jazz canon, um, so I, would, I really would have loved to have been able to see him perform and even maybe talk to him and try to get some information from him about how you know that affected him personally and how he you know, stayed on through the course. You know, the interesting thing, Clint Eastwood did a documentary on him and followed him around in his heyday. Mm-hmm. And, and the impression I got was that he was just constantly in some kind of vacuumized zone where it was just him and the music and he just wasn't really even aware he was in front of a crowd. I mean, he was and wasn't. He was just doing what he knows how to do, you know. Sure. Uh-huh. Which is the interesting thing about him. Plus, he's just an enigmatic kind of character. So, right. um, Do you live with any regrets, Nick? Do I live with any regrets? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. 
Um, what's the future hold for you? Um, well, um, got some exciting performances coming up with my group and just continuing to perform with other people around New York and uh, share my music. And I'm sure there'll be you know, some more recording projects coming up in the next couple year or two. Um, but yeah, just kind of freelancing around New York and sh- you know, sharing music. So, do you remember the first autograph you ever gave out? The first autograph? Yeah, it's, it, I think it was to uh, a middle school student at some, uh, one of the first gigs that I put together in, in Arizona. Uh, about, so it would have been maybe in 2008 or so. What was that like? Um, it was it, it's just, you know, you forget, you know, how it, what it's like to just be in awe and doesn't matter who they are, but they're just, you, you think, oh man, that person's so cool, I want to get their autograph, and, you know, I was really, really just kind of taken back that this, you know, this young person wanted to, you know, have me sign his program, and, you know, get a picture with me, and stuff like that, and I was just, you know, it's, you, you never really think that you're going to be that person for somebody else, but it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's really, I feel grateful that I was able to be that for that, that person. It doesn't happen too much, but, you know, now and again, I, people come up and uh, want to want to autograph or picture or something. That's pretty cool to be able to share that with that moment with somebody. Right on. So, what what's the last album you listened to? Um, let's see. This morning I was listening to Chick Corea. Now he sings, now he sobs. Very cool. Which is which is one of my all time favorites. Chick Corea is just one of my favorite pianists. You know, I hear that a lot in, in when I interview, that Chick is always high up on the list. And I remember one time in Kansas City, he played with the uh, symphony here. And the symphony stopped playing, and they wanted him to stop, and he just kept going. He went on for so long, the crowd was, was laughing. They were almost in tears. And, uh, really? That's amazing. You know, it's just one of those things where Chick just seems like the kind of guy that marches to his own beat, you know. So. Sure. Nick, I appreciate your time, continued success, and uh, oh, thank you, Joe. thanks again. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another interview on Neon Jazz. We're here to give you a bit of insight into the finest players doing the jazz these days. And thanks to Nick for his time and insight into his craft. If you want to hear more interviews, you can go to the iTunes store and type in Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Thank <laughs> you.